Our Bible story today is the story of Jonah, and I'll be reading it um, from the Jesus Storybook Bible, which we've been reading from for the last couple of weeks, months, I guess, over the summer. Um, It's sort of marketed as a children's Bible. It's got cute pictures. It's presented very nicely and sort of looks sort of juvenile, but it's not. It's really not. If you haven't read it and you're an adult, you should. And I think we probably have some copies around. You should read it. It's really, really good. So this is the story of Jonah. God had a job for Jonah, but Jonah didn't want to do it. Go to Nineveh, God said. Tell your worst enemies that I love them. No, said Jonah. Those are bad people doing bad things. Exactly, God said. They've run far away from me, but I can't stop loving them. I'll give them a new start. I will forgive them. No, said Jonah. They don't deserve it. I know what I'll do, Jonah said to himself. I'll run away. Far away, so far away that God can't find me. Then I won't have to do what he says. He said that because as far as he knew, that was a good plan. But of course, it wasn't a good plan at all. It was a silly plan. Because, you know, you can run away from God, but he always comes and finds you. Jonah went ahead with his not-so-very-good plan. One ticket to not Nineveh, please, he said, and he boarded a boat sailing the exact opposite direction of Nineveh. And it wasn't long before a fierce wind blew and the boat started to lurch and pitch and roll and everybody started turning green and Noah sat upright in his bed. You see, the first thing that went wrong with his not-so-good plan was that God sent the big storm after him. The sailors couldn't sail the ship properly. We're sinking, they screamed. And they started throwing everything overboard. Suitcases, food, whatever they could find. By now, Jonah knew the storm was his fault. Throw me instead, he shouted to the sailors. The storm will stop. But the sailors weren't sure. It's the only way you can be saved, he shouted. So, one, two, three, splash. And no sooner did Jonah hit the water, the waves grew calm, the wind died down, and the storm stopped. And just then, when Jonah thought it was all over, and he was sure he was going to drown, God sent a big fish to rescue him. This fish swallowed him whole, one big gulp. Jonah must have thought he had died. It was so dark in there. It was like a tomb. But then he smelled the rotting food, felt the seaweed, and he knew he wasn't dead. He was in the belly of a fish. And sitting in there in the darkness for three whole days, Jonah had plenty of time to think. Pretty soon he realized that his plan was, well... A very silly plan indeed. He was sorry for running away. He prayed to God from inside that great fish. And he asked God to forgive him. And after three days, 
the fish spit Jonah out onto the beach. And just then, Jonah heard someone say, Go to Nineveh. And this time, Jonah said yes. He went straight to Nineveh and he told everyone God's wonderful message. Even though you have run far from God, he can't stop loving you. Jonah told them, run to him. He can forgive you. And the people of Nineveh listened to Jonah and they started loving God. And they learned to do what God said and they stopped running away from him just like Jonah had. Many years later, God would send another messenger with the same wonderful message. And like Jonah, he would spend three days in darkness. But this messenger, he would be God's own son. He would be called the Word because he himself would be God's message. God's message translated into our own language. Everything God wanted to say in a person. Would you pray with me? Creator God, you made the universe and everything in it. You made everyone in it. Would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear that we would love the world the way that you love it? In Christ's name, amen. This piece of art hangs in my dining room. My husband, Ryan, and I commissioned our friend Kate Zalstra to draw it a few years ago. It depicts a whale and a fig tree, two images that we chose to represent the story of Jonah. You see, after Jonah finally delivers God's message to the Ninevites and then departs the city, God causes a plant to shoot up overnight over Jonah to cover him while he sits in the desert. In truth, the plant was probably not a fig tree. It's more likely that it was a castor plant, but that's not the point. The point is that at the time, we wanted the story of Jonah to be ever-present to our home to remind us that even when we disobey, God, in great mercy and patience, provides. At the time we commissioned the piece, these two objects, the whale and the plant, represented to us two instances of God's provision to Jonah. Jonah runs from God, and his disobedience places those around him in peril. So he sacrifices himself so that they will be spared. Then lo and behold, God in great mercy and patience, sends a whale to swallow him. And then Jonah is spared too, giving him a second chance to obey. Jonah finally does obey by delivering God's message, but the outcome of the obedience isn't what Jonah wanted. The people actually repent. And this is super disappointing to Jonah, who was looking forward to God wiping them off the face of the earth. So Jonah, now alone and despondent in the unforgiving desert, whines, and God, in great mercy and patience, sends a plant to shade him from the sun so that he won't be scorched. Or so I thought. When I took the Hebrew in seminary, we studied the book of Jonah, and it turns out 
I had never actually read to the end of the book. For many of us, the story of Jonah that we hear in Sunday school ends somewhere shortly after the whale spits Jonah out. But I learned that the primary purpose of that plant was not to shade Jonah from the sun. And after reading the story more carefully, I see a different meaning in that fig branch that hangs in my dining room. But I'll talk more about that later. So why is Jonah so poised to sprint in the first place? What is it about the Ninevites that makes him turn and run? Who exactly are those bad people doing bad things? The story of Jonah takes place around 700 BCE, and we learn in the book of 1 Chronicles that about 40 years prior, members of the northern kingdom of Israel transgressed against the God of their ancestors and prostituted themselves to the gods of the peoples of the land whom God had destroyed before them. So the God of Israel stirred up the spirit of King Pul of Assyria, the spirit of King Tilgath Pilneser of Assyria, and he carried them away, namely the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, and brought them to Halah, Habor, Harah, and the river goes into this day. And about 20 years after that initial captivity, the Assyrians besieged the northern kingdom of Israel once again, and members of 10 of the 12 tribes of Israel were taken into captivity. Nineveh was the capital of Assyria. So God sends Jonah, an Israelite, to minister to the very people who had driven his entire community into exile and slavery. The Ninevites aren't just abstractly bad to Jonah. It's not that he has heard stories and rumors about how evil they are. He's experienced it. There are no people more evil in Jonah's eyes. This is deeply personal. I heard a story a few months ago about a man by the name of Daryl Davis. Daryl is a blues musician, and about 30 years ago, after he played at a club, he ended up sitting at a table with a club patron. After enjoying a long conversation about blues music, the man, who was blown away by Daryl's piano performance, admitted he had never in his entire life sat down with someone like Daryl. And the reason was because this man was a member of the KKK. Daryl is black. It was the first moment in that man's entire life that he had allowed himself to share a dignifying and human experience with a black person. Daryl's willingness to remain there in that conversation eventually led Daryl to travel the country, attending KKK rallies, befriending Klansmen, people who hated him and advocated for the systemic oppression of Daryl and, and everybody like him. And in choosing to share conversations with these men, Daryl became responsible for more than 200 Klansmen renouncing their membership. Daryl went to his greatest enemies, and they repented. I do want to be clear that it is not the responsibility of black people to dismantle racism, but Daryl felt uniquely postured to enter into enemy territory, so to speak, and form challenging relationships with the hope that some of his oppressors might turn away from their dehumanizing behavior and step into peace. 
Jonah was not so much like Daryl. He was not happy about being sent to his enemies, and he certainly wasn't happy when they actually listened to him. After the whale spits Jonah out, Jonah finally goes to the Ninevites and calls them to repent, but he was secretly hoping they wouldn't. So he wanted God to punish them for their wickedness, and he, he wanted God to wipe them off the face of the earth. And it is to his great disappointment that when they listen to him and lament their wrongdoing, God forgives them. They repent of their sins and turn to God, and God welcomes them. Scripture sometimes prompts us to ask, how do we respond if those who have harmed us don't apologize and don't repent? But Jonah prompts us to ask, How do we respond if they do? We can locate ourselves in Jonah. We rebel, especially when it comes to loving our enemies. We want God's retribution upon, not reconciliation with our enemies. When he was preaching the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, You may have heard it said that you should love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies. And pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Might those in the crowd, deeply familiar with Jewish sacred texts, have thought immediately of Jonah? prophesying on behalf of those who persecuted him? Go to Nineveh, God said, and tell your worst enemies that I love them. No, said Jonah. Those are bad people doing bad things. Exactly, said God. They have run far away from me, but I can't stop loving them. I will give them a new start. I will forgive them. No, said Jonah. They don't deserve it. There are bad people now doing bad things now, and I want nothing more than for God to rain down judgment upon them. I don't want God to give them a new start because they don't deserve it. But the story for them isn't over yet, just like it isn't over for you and for me. God looks upon them the way that God looks upon me, with love. I may think they are undeserving of God's love because of the hate in their hearts or the lies that they tell or the pain that they inflict on other people. Those wicked things they do anger God. They break the heart of God too, just like the suffering of the Israelites under Assyrian captivity broke the heart of God back then. But that doesn't mean that God's love is extinguished for them or that God's desire to be reconciled to all people is diminished. My enemies are not God's enemies because God loves everyone. And those bad people who do bad things, those people are us too. Romans 5 says, for if we were God's enemies, for if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, 
How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? We were once enemies of God, but we were reconciled to the Father through the death of the Son. Perhaps you sin differently than the Ninevites, but you don't sin better. Neither do I. Before Jesus bore the weight of our sin on the cross, before the wrath of God against sin was poured out on him instead of on us, we all looked the same, wicked. There's no room for high horses in the kingdom of heaven. My enemies are not God's enemies because God loves everyone. The Ninevites enslaved and oppressed the Israelites. Jonah fled from God's direct command. Bad people doing bad things. Enemies of God. But in the blood of Christ, we receive the righteousness of Christ. My repentance is no more valid than the repentance of the really bad people doing really bad things. Because the Father looks on us no longer sees bad people. The Father sees the Son. The gospel demands repentance, to be sure, but the point of repentance isn't paying our dues or posturing ourselves to receive punishment. It's good news. Salvation and redemption and restoration through union with Christ. To murderers and embezzlers, to adulterers and white nationalists, to you and to me, God called Jonah to preach repentance to a violent, oppressive people in order that they might be reconciled to God. Good news. God calls us to do the same. I do want to point out that God's command to Jonah was pretty specific. Go at once to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. He did not say... Go tell them to knock it off. Tell them it's all good. Tell them be great if you could cut it out. Or I get it, they're only human. God's mandate to Jonah wasn't simply to love his enemies passively or say, I'll pray for them. No, cry out against their wickedness for it has come up before me. Their wickedness is so loud and so brash and so blatant. It's been flung in my face and pounded in my ears. I can't ignore it. Repentance demands confession, a full, honest, sober taking account of the gravity of sin. It demands a turning away from sin, not just an apology for it. Go to the Ninevites. Call it what it is. Name it. Make them stare it in the face. Denounce the evil among them. Rebuke it. Call for confession. God was ready to forgive Nineveh. God wanted to show mercy to Nineveh. God was grieved by the distance that Nineveh's sin had wedged between them. But make no mistake that God saw their sin for what it was. Wickedness. And God called Jonah to prophetically condemn those actions. Grace is not cheap, and sin is not dismissible. It cannot be glossed over, or explained away, or justified, or, well, it's actually not that bad, because, 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 because. There is real evil in the world, 
And the church of Jesus can and should speak to it. When powerful people like the Ninevites use that power to oppress those with less power, to strip their dignity and their agency, it's wicked and it needs to be called out. But the purpose of calling, out, calling it out is not to gain some sort of moral high ground. It's to see the perpetrator step into repentance and have an encounter with the living Christ and be restored to a life of faithfulness. When we call out sin, are we interested in seeing restoration and wholeness in Christ? Or are we, like Jonah, just interested in being right? So back to that plant. What scripture actually tells us about that plant is that almost immediately after God makes it shoot out of the ground overnight, he sends a worm to destroy it. And Jonah is so distraught that he tells God he wants to die. God's response? Jonah, you didn't create this plant. You didn't call forth its roots to spread or its leaves to unfurl. You didn't design its complex cellular structure or or commission it to photosynthesize. You didn't tend it. You didn't nurture it. And you're telling me that you love it so dearly that its destruction makes you want to die? How much more do you think I love the Ninevites, whom I did create? How much more do you think it would pain me to see them destroyed? That illustration in my dining room means something else to me now. It doesn't just assure me that God will be gracious when I disobey. It charges me to love my enemies, even and especially the ones who are really bad people doing really bad things. Because God made them and loves them and wants to see them restored and not destroyed. God wants to see them lay down their wickedness and take up the fruit of the Spirit, just like God looks upon me and my sin. A bad person doing bad things and reaches out to restore me. Go to your worst enemies, the ones you think really, truly, absolutely don't deserve it, and tell them, that I love them. Jonah was just one in a long line of human messengers sent by God to proclaim the word of the Lord, calling people to return to God. And after a long line of prophets, God sent another messenger, Jesus, the word made flesh, God himself, who came to draw the world to himself, who will return to us. And in the meantime, We are God's messengers, preaching peace to those far away, like the Ninevites of today, and preaching peace to those near, like one another here in these pews. We are God's messengers, called to proclaim freedom in Christ for the captives, both for those held captive by oppressors and for those held captive by the sin of oppressing. We are God's messengers, called to proclaim God's never-ending love for the least of these, including those who, in our eyes, least deserve it. We can locate Christ in Jonah, too. Like Jonah, 
Jesus waited three days in darkness in order to deliver the good news, the call to repentance, to abundance, not just to his own people, but to everyone, including those living beyond the borders of belonging, the people who commit atrocities with impunity, the people who are enemies of God, the people who are us. Jesus is the better Jonah, dining with his enemies, calling them to repent and rejoicing when they do, like he did with Zacchaeus. Jesus is the better Jonah, throwing himself overboard to spare us from the storm, but death doesn't swallow him. He swallows death by dying on the cross and by rising again. That is where Christ meets us. We who were once enemies of God in his broken body and in his shed blood. This is where we remember and are rejoined to the resurrection that frees us from sin and death. This is where Christ is present to us here at the table. Christ the Lord invites all to his table who love him, who earnestly repent of their sin, who seek to live in peace with one another. Therefore, let us confess our sins before God and one another. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry, and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. 